Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast, where we're working our way through the later seasons of the show, episode by episode. Because, you know, I think they deserve it. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N-Hart, I thank you very much. And this week we will be looking at episodes 11 and 12 of the final season, Student Council and The Last Crusade. Bit of a fallow patch last episode, I felt. But hey, we've got some Starlight and Trixie action coming up, so how bad can it be? Student Council was first aired June the 8th, 2019, and was written by the one, the only, showrunner Josh Haber, or J-Hab, as I like to call him. Gonna try and make that a thing. The episode gets a pretty impressed 8.3 aggregate score on IMDb, where the synopsis reads, Starlight Glimmer relishes her role as school counsellor and encourages the students to come to her anytime about anything, but she becomes overwhelmed and learns a lesson. Ponies learning lessons in my little pony? Who'd have thunk it? Maybe I should just start rating the cold opens based on exposition because I waffle on about that enough and if this were put in a rating system student council would score pretty highly well the scripted part of the cold open is basically just starlight glimmer explaining what she does at the school and why she feels she's good at it this explanation is used as both irony in that she's basically implying that she has everything under control and it's going really well, and yet she is unable to focus and keeps zipping in and out to deal with things at the school. It is also wonderfully framed so that we are seeing it from Trixie's vantage point. So we have these big burbles of self-promotion, then silence, then a return to the same explanation, then silence, and in between there are these wonderfully irritable and... (laughs) Awkward silences where Trixie's just sort of pouring a cup of tea or eating a sandwich. This way of framing it not only works from a comedic standpoint, but it also explains the problem very clearly without having to explain it in text. I know last episode I waffled on and on and on, ironically, about over-explanation, But this is a great example of the alternative, where you can explain something in the script, but you can subvert it in certain ways. You don't have to live or die by the script. It's not a radio show. And as this episode shows as well as any, this show is excellent at silent gestures and expressions that can carry a lot of information without needing to explain how the characters are feeling textually. Now, I promise... I will leave going to seed alone. Oppenheimer, however... No, no, I'm not going back to that. The cherry on top of the way this opening scene is framed visually, the culmination of the issue, if if you will, is when having expressed her ire, while the camera is still fixed on Trixie's face, Starlight suddenly pops in obtrusively in foreground and blurred out sort of artlessly. So she's deliberately, you know, treading on this moment. She's deliberately blocking out the problems. 
There are wonderful examples of visual framing throughout this episode. Um, I don't want to go too far into it because I always end up saying, oh, doesn't, doesn't this show look lovely? So yeah, it's just a particularly good one for that sort of thing. Yeah, spoiler, I really, really like this episode. I mean, first things first, as invariably seems to be the case with Trixie and Starlight episodes, and particularly when Jahab is in the writing seat, it's really, really funny. And a lot of the humour is generated from character beats. You not only have Starlight's perennial awkwardness, you also have Trixie's obtrusiveness and ah, the wonderful comic timing of Kathleen Barr that always lends these encounters just a, a really nicely farcical edge. Sunburst wants us to pick up a genuine pre-equestrian spring solstice japing dish from the antique shop. Of course he does. Mugbriar wants a bouquet of flowering sticks, whatever that means. Because there's a wonderful dysfunction about this friendship, but it is very definitely a friendship, and this is an episode that proves that they, they really, really do care about each other. Where fans did criticise the depiction of Trixie in All Bottled Up as being a bit too mean, a bit too insensitive to be believable as a friend, I mean, I do understand it in the context of the episode, here and in Road to Friendship, both Jahab episodes, there is a balance of responsibility between the two. And each character is capable of proving that they can stand up for the other, or take responsibility for their own part in relationship issues. I might share a bit of the blame for pressuring you into leaving work early. I think it is slightly interesting here that you are very much on Trixie's side for a lot of the first half of the episode. Starlight needs to find time for her friends, because Trixie is definitely putting in the effort. She's not just unreasonably expecting Starlight to drop things in. It's just Starlight seems to be incapable of boundarising that work-life balance. And that's the core of this episode, really. Um, in some ways, it doesn't actually even solve that issue <laughs> or seek to. Work-life balance is a consistent issue. And the ease with which it can be navigated does change with circumstances, roles, both at home and at work. But while the disappearance of Silverstream does seem to reinforce that you can't always just say, right, no, stop, that's enough, that, that's me for today, when you're encountering somebody in crisis. Or at least it doesn't seem like you should be able to do that. Trixie is quite right to actually put her foot down when Starlight starts blaming herself for actually, oh no, I should have been there. I shouldn't have tried to close things off so quickly. Trixie stands up and says, Always being at work isn't fair to any pony. She needs this time. She needs to be able to stop. And in some ways, that is the most difficult bit. When you have dependents or people waiting on you, it's having the courage to say no. This is the time that I have been allotted, and I am sticking to that. Because, as I've mentioned before, and I'm sure is relatable to anybody with, with a job, it's a slippery slope when you start sort of accepting things beyond your remit. Because that then becomes the expectation, even if just for you. And so gradually work can 
consume and consume and work outwards from the set working day and swallow everything else up. And even if you are the most work-focused person, even if you love your job and can't get enough of it, you'll burn yourself out. It's no good for the job. You need that off time. You need that downtime. And it can be so hard to just say no. It does sometimes take someone coming in and saying, stop. Yes, something might come up. Issues might transpire. But someone else will have to deal with it because you have to look after yourself. Now, this isn't the first time the show has dealt with this issue. Season 6 had Applejack's, quote, day, unquote, off, which pretty much dealt with the same thing, only with rarity there replacing Trixie. That it is a sort of repetition in itself isn't much of an issue for me because the two episodes feel so different. And the two episodes sort of come to slightly different conclusions about how to maintain a work-life balance, how to draw those boundaries. In the case of Applejack's, quote, day, unquote, off, it ended up focusing on the proactive and, yeah, quite valuable idea of, of looking at how your working day is actually spent, whether there are things that could be improved, refined, you could be more efficient at. Here, it's a little different. Um, it equally valuably is just saying, forget what happens in your working life. Forget what happens outside work. The important thing is that a line is drawn and that is so hard to do. I do have a lot of (laughs) admiration for people who are just like, right, five o'clock, that's me going because I've never been good at that. It also, if you're ultimately being judged on your output, means that people expect more from your job role. You are making it worse for the people who replace you because they will be expecting far more than the actual working hours can offer, because you gave it to them without asking for anything more. But it's a tricky, tricky navigation. And if we look at it on a far more macro level than that, being there for your friends when you say you're going to be there for them is just important, isn't it? Even the most patient, understanding friend will gradually feel of secondary importance if you maintain that practice. It's interesting, you know, that we're talking about the value of work versus the value of relationships here, isn't it? We just kept discovering things that could help Equestria and no pony else had the experience to finish our job. But anyway... In many ways, this episode feels like a celebration of the best aspects of Jahab's tenure as showrunner, or or at least the one that he sort of bookends, because obviously you have Lewis and Sonko briefly running the job, and of course, Nicole DeBuck is a very prominent player in terms of the script editing. But again, it, it draws from character relationship and dynamics that are exclusive to this end of the show, and just proves how rich the character relationships are, And just how funny these characters are working off each other. You not only have Trixie and Starlight, you've also got Maud, who, while she was introduced in the Megan McCarthy era, McCarthy era, that's unfortunate. Anyone who criticises or opposes McCarthy's methods must be a communist. Has really sort of changed her role and kind of grown into herself uh, in the later seasons, especially 
with the divisive new relationship with Mudbriar, who also features prominently here. And while somewhat broader, um, the the character-based comedy between them is very, very funny. And this episode, again, comic timing, wonderful. We can still have a party, a search party. You've also got Sunburst, who I, I really like, and I think J-Hab likes as well. He was one of the first characters to be introduced, actually, by the Habster. One of these is going to take off, I'm sure. But he's almost the kind of straight voice in this, but in many ways he's got this edge of panic and sort of analness that that makes him a bit more compelling as a character. Because he is a realist, but he also gets fixated on details. And yet we have, uh, well, we've not got the Young Six, really. We've got Silverstreet from the Young Six. And, um, Flenderfloor, Flender... Flender Trim, the her brother. Is it her brother? <laughs> I only watched this last night. Goodness me. Fleeter Flo, Fleet and Hoof, Trenderbar. Anyway, he's there, and it it does actually open up a bit of a new, <laughs> but believable facet to Silverstreep's character. That she's so delighted by the small details of everyday life, that she can become stuck on pointless little details. And so a lot of the episode is her wasting Starlight's time by focusing not on the actual relationship tensions that are happening with her family, but on the specific wording she should use to explain it to them. Oh, that's uh, relatable. Because, <laughs> as you might have gathered, I am someone who can talk an awful lot. And I get the impression that I can drive my line manager spare by just going into pointless detail and sort of by roads and roundabouts uh, about simple issues and, and kind of miss the wood for the trees. And funnily enough, my line manager has had a very effective solution to this, which is pretty much the same solution that Starlight comes to. Make a list of all of the things you want to raise, and at this specific time, we will talk them over. It works for both parties as a focusing tool, and it just makes better use of the time. My goodness, I've, I've, I've talked a lot about working methodology here. When did I become such a bureaucrat? <laughs> That's where you want to end up, from your kid's colourful pony cartoon, I guess. Um... Yeah, this is consistently funny. The score is great throughout. I just noticed a couple of real standout bits of William Anderson scoring. Uh, for instance, when Starlight's hoof band is activated by Trixie and she appears in the darkened office. And it's like this sort of clattering percussion. <laughs> it's funny in how obtrusively ominous it is. But there's also the scene where we are following what turns out to be this sort of complete wild goose chase of Trixie trying to smell out where Silverstream is. Yeah, if, if I had one complaint about this episode, uh, and it is a minor one, I think a lot of the sort of silly flippant chase sequences towards the end, perhaps they've gone a little bit long because they are ultimately just jokes, especially the one with Trixie. But it, that's, a, that's a minor complaint. Stray observations? You want an example of good indirect characterization? 
How about Trixie reading off the list of demands from their friends when they're walking through Ponyville close to the beginning of the episode? Even if you'd not seen the show before, you get a good idea of what Sunburst is like by this uh, very specific demand. To which Starlight responds, well, of course he does. And also Mudbriar's request for flowering sticks, which... <laughs> do, we ever f- do we ever find out what they are? Uh, hang on, are they a thing? Just a second. Not expressly a real thing. Um, it could be referring to the like bamboo support rods you use for actually uh, keeping flowers in shape, and you know you wrap the vines around them, or rather they wrap themselves around. Or you can get rattan sticks. Mm, yes. Or. It might refer, but probably doesn't, to flower sticks used for juggling. All of this stuff you could have found out by doing what I just did in real time. I hope you've learnt something today. (laughs) Even if it's just that I could probably cut more out of these episodes. But yeah, the the specificity of, of, of flowering sticks... You get an idea about how, again, anal that character is going to be, even if you don't know them. But they do have an interest in... No. No, I I thought there might be a very specific word for the study of sticks. Stickology. Twigonometry. Uh, Just another example of how good the comedic writing is in this episode... Trixie's uh, reaction, or kind of anti-reaction to the news that Silverstream is missing by just eating some food. It's weird because that could be read in multiple ways, but it's funny and true to character in any of them. could be Trixie being insensitive and not really reading too much importance in, in the problem, or it's her simply anticipating that once more her time with Starlight is going to be ruined. Hey Maud, what's your favourite Prefab Sprout album? Swoon. Interesting pick. I thought you'd be more an I Troll the Megahertz pony, personally. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So... Yeah. It's very funny. It's engagingly told. The evolving relationship between the characters and the quite mature conclusions they come to are very, very welcome. But first and foremost, it's it's just a lot of fun to see all of these characters working off each other. Uh, This is a really good episode. Well, I think the second half does dip a little in interest from time to time. My complaints are pretty minor, um, and I I think this is is close to a classic. Nine. It's not over yet. There are some big event episodes scattered throughout season nine. And um, this is technically one of them. The Last Crusade was first broadcast June the 15th, 2019, and was written by Nicole de Buck, script editor and by now show stalwart. Her last script was Uprooted, which was okay. She hasn't yet risen to the peaks of season eight, where she contributed to two 
excellent two-parter episodes and, amongst others, chucked in an I-feel-pretty-underrated episode in a matter of principles. The Last Crusade garners a... 7.7 IMDb aggregate score, where the synopsis reads... Unexpected visitors to Ponyville threaten to break up the Cutie Mark Crusaders forever. Will the Crusaders stay together, or will they be forced to learn a valuable lesson about friendship? What? It sounds like the person who wrote the synopsis has their own <laughs> their own reading and agenda here. Because ultimately, yeah, spoiler, uh, they all stay together in Ponyville, so I guess they've not learned anything. I didn't learn anything. <laughs> I was right all along. Yeah, there's nothing technically momentous uh, in terms of what happens in this episode, but it does perhaps mark the first real threat to the Cutie Mark Crusaders as a unit that they might be, in spite of themselves, broken up. But there are a couple of other major introductions here. Now, that is a bit of an issue in itself, perhaps. Introducing characters about whom, you know, there have been expectations and law built over the course of nearly a decade, this late in the show, can be problematic. And I don't necessarily think they're being forced to introduce uh, significant new characters uh, at this point, like for example, Star Trek Deep Space Nine was, where one of their main characters got written out of the show in the, in the penultimate season, uh, and so they had a replacement brought in, which is never a great idea. But here, <gasps> is Scootaloo an orphan? No, no, she's not. Her parents have just been away, doing very important work that nobody else can do. So I'm glad we've explained that then. Also introduced... Ask you to lose aunt and aunt, deliberately written as a lesbian couple. Now, obviously, they can't outright acknowledge that in the show. You just have to have two people who seem to spend a lot of time with each other. Seems, having watched the final episode, that the code for gay characters in this show is if the two characters are talking about doing the same chore, that's evidently a euphemism. Here, it's packing up food together... And in the case of Applejack and Rainbow Dash, they're talking about cleaning the flat or whatever it is. I think they share chores with each other. Yeah, I wonder where Applejack and Rainbow Dash live. It ain't going to be the cloud place. I bet you Rainbow Dash just lives on the farm. I bet she loves that. So yeah, lots of new characters. Are they interesting in themselves? Uh, there's potential. With Aunt Holiday and Auntie Flim Flim Flam, Auntie Flurry, Auntie Flitter, Auntie Framboise, Auntie Lofty. Wasn't even close. But unfortunately, they are rather being pushed out of the limelight by the introduction of Scootaloo's parents, who aren't interesting characters. There's Steve Irwin and Pony the mayor. How exciting. I want to love this episode. In part because the CMCs themselves are a joy. In general, yes, but also in this episode. And Madeline Peters, as Scootaloo, does such a good job trying to wring out as much feeling from this circumstance as she can. Certainly from their perspective and the lengths they go to 
uh, that bit's good. I do like how there is that mood shift halfway through where it goes from, you know, archetypal CMC shenanigans. You know, they're trying some ridiculous things. It it might seem a bit, you know, season one, season two-ish. And I guess they generally would have been seen to have matured a little bit in the show since then. The fact is that this is built on panic. It's built on desperation. They're trying anything because they don't want Scootaloo to go. So I, I get it. Why they try all these dumb potions and things again. <laughs> you know they're not going to work, but there is this sort of, you know, very saddening countdown going on behind it all. But the episode just snaps at just the right point because there's that very funny gag with <laughs> with the post where they've gone to the extent of manacling themselves to the for sale sign. It's like, we're, we're not moving from this post. And then without even thinking, the, uh, the estate agent just comes and removes the post. Like, do 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 <laughs> But then this is wonderfully offset by just all of, of Scootaloo's emotion about it coming out. And there's a, a lovely line delivery. And a perfectly justified sentiment from Scootaloo. But I don't want to say goodbye. You're changing my whole life without even asking how I feel. <laughs> it's a lovely moment that and it does change the feel of the episode and after this their approach becomes a bit more determined and a bit more adult you know it's not oh let's find a magic potion that makes them stay let's let's fake a species of creature that will make them stay it's i'm basically going to stake myself out at my aunt's house they won't have time to find me they won't be able to come and get me that's the end of that and what is interesting about this episode is that the kids are right and it ends how it should, I think, with them being allowed to stay. As I say, this part of it, the CMCs and them navigating their sadness and fear about being split apart, good stuff. Like it a lot. It's when the parents come into the picture where things get a bit shakier and where this episode feels like a case of missed potential. Yeah, as mentioned before, they're not interesting characters. They're used for a particular purpose. It's not a tremendous amount of time to flesh them out either, especially with the two aunts in play. But they get off pretty easy because the explanation for why they've never been around Scootaloo that she's never mentioned before, yeah, this happens in shows. It just never came up before. That's fine. But if you are going to reintroduce these characters you probably have to do a little bit better for a rationale. Because the excuses for that is kind of what they are, that particularly Scootaloo's dad gives, are worthy of of question, at the least. They need to be problematised, and they're not. Again, it's basically just written off as, oh, well, what we have to do is far too important, and there's no one else that can do it. Implicitly there, you are saying that they're always more important than your daughter. And they're off again. And that seems to be fine. And everyone's happy that the parents are gone and that Scootaloo is where she is. And Scootaloo is happy that the parents have made this decision. There's a big hollow void at the centre of this episode as a result. Questions aren't answered about this. They don't even need to be answered, actually. They just need to be raised. It would be so good if Scootaloo 
at least acknowledge that this was a recurrent problem because it evidently has been, but this isn't done. I'm not a parent. It is, of course, either seems to be or just very much is a necessity that uh, a parent, well, hopefully not both parents, but it possibly and have to be away for a while. That both of Scootaloo's parents are pretty much always absent and the onus has been on her aunts to raise her. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not it's not ex- made explicit how long her parents have been away, but you will know that at the end of the episode, Scootaloo's mum says, Sometimes that means missing out on other things you love, like watching our daughter grow into a pony we're very proud of. They haven't seen much of her upbringing, and the show is kind of torn between <laughs> expressing the fact that they have been away and actually wanting, I would say, forcing... A, a happy ending for both parties. No, if that is the case, I, I don't. I don't think they should be let off like that. For both parents to have picked their job, however important, over Scootaloo for most of her life, it would seem very, very hard to justify that. I think the other issue about this is that even if there was no solution to this, even if they just sort of, you know, shook hands and agreed to part company, I would at least have liked Scootaloo to raise her unhappiness about this. Because I presume she would have been. She seemed so delighted to see them again. So excited that they're going to be living together again. And yet this longer term issue isn't really problematised, is it? Also, while it is lovely that everyone gets together to prove the value of the CMC. So we get some cool cameos. I think it's nice that the whole of the main six are there with Spike. We've got Gabby in the background and Thunder Thunder Hat from the last episode there. And this kind of parallels something I raised uh, about Sweet and Smoky. It would have been good if Scootaloo had been the one to stand up for this. Not everyone around her. Now, yeah, obviously kids aren't this empowered and sadly aren't always taken as seriously as this. And perhaps it's not even always sadly, you know. There are certain reasons why kids can't take on this degree of responsibility yet. But anyway, it would have been good if it was Scootaloo and Sweetie Belle and Apple Bloom that persuaded them of their value. Didn't just have to have the whole town do it for them. It would also, again, have played into what, for me, is the missed opportunity to have Scootaloo express a little bit more of of, of her dissatisfaction about their general behaviour, about how much they value her. And yeah, I, I know from seeing it in people's lives that there are people very definitely who their work is their first love before their family, before their kids. That's just how they're wired up. That does not mean the kids should be expected to be fine with that. Okay, that's a choice you have made. Unless Scootaloo's parents were kidnapped or held hostage for, I don't know, 12 years, there was a choice involved for both of them to have been out of her life for that period of time. I, 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 <laughs> I find myself getting indignant on the behalf of this little orange filly. Scootaloo is awesome. And she'll be fine on her own. I don't think you two even know how to be parents. Look, when Rainbow Dash is a better parent than you are, you need to take a cold, hard look at yourself. Not cool. 
You know, I did think, well, this might have hit a bit harder if it were another set of characters. You know, if it were another CMC and their parents. But, of course, that can't really happen because of the way the the characters of the show are related. It would be a strange situation if, for the sake of having this single episode crisis, Applejack and Big Mac and Granny Smith have to move away. Or Rarity, for instance. Well, I know she's not Sweetie Belle's mum. She is a guardian. Again, where are these parents at? moving to Manhattan or something or Cantalot and you can't you can't really do that at this stage so yeah it kind of has to be Scootaloo I guess if we go to deal with the CMCs breaking up however I wish they'd just focused on the aunts instead that it had just been shown that her parents had been away and maybe you know Scootaloo wasn't happy about that but she'd been well looked after by her aunts uh, and now our aunts have to move away for some reason. Wouldn't that have had the same impact? And it would have given them the chance to actually focus on one set of characters. And you would have got a bit more about what honestly seemed to be the, the more interesting of the two sets introduced in this episode. But anyway. Sundry observations before I tear this episode a new one. Yeah, nice little feature. The wall behind the rostron in the cutie mark crusaders treehouse uh, is full of pictures chronicling old cutie mark triumphs and just incidents from other episodes you've got applejack rainbow dash and rarity in the cart racing one i don't care what it was called <laughs> diamond tiara of course babseed pipsqueak the photographer one flutter snap flitter blitter little one with the the teeth. Him. You got Gabby, Bolt Biceps, the Apple Family, Sand Big Mac. Uh, and then, interestingly, you have Big Mac and Cheerily, which, yeah, in terms of the CMCs, that was a significant episode. It's also a great episode. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that have hung it in this wall of sort of triumphs and warm memories. Do they not recall what happened there? I wonder how Big Mac would feel about that picture being up now that he's with someone else. Well, I say someone else. He didn't want to be with Cheerilee in the first place. It was all a bit, um, hmm. Anyway. I like how Rainbow Dash is used subtly in this. Because she's so reactive as a character, because she leads with her feelings, there is going to be no front about her feelings about the CMCs possibly breaking up, about Scootaloo moving away. So where some of the other adult characters might have, you know, weighed up the parent's side and the CMC side a bit more, Rainbow Dash is just very genuine, like, oh, we're not having that. And she's the one who leads the charge at the end and says, you can't take her away. Look at this. Are you mad? Are you mad? She's not in it much, but I do like her use, and she gets a good little gag with the tickets earlier on as well. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So... Yeah. Gotta love the CMCs. Uh, and they play beautifully here. I love the, the evolving seriousness of their predicament. I cannot overlook the fact that the reintroduction of the parents and simultaneous introduction of the, of the aunts and this sort of emotionally unsatisfactory conclusion does make this feel a bit more of a hollow spectacle for me than it should. It's just, I don't think it's balanced quite right 
in terms of the character relationships and sort of the, the balance of power between these characters in a way. Scootaloo is far too forgiving. I know that seems a very un-MLP sentiment, but I, I wanted to see a little bit more fire about their behaviour. That's why that moment when she says that they're dictating her life without even asking her is so potent. But um, yeah, still a decent episode. It just could have been a lot better than it was. 6.5. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? So, as always, if you'd like to get in touch about anything pony-related, you can contact me by email, all plotted out, at outlook.com, all lowercase, all one word, all plotted out, at outlook.com, or get in touch on the artist formerly known as Twitter, at all plotted out. Thank you all for joining me. Hope you will join me again soon. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, stay tolerant, and status quo have had more chart hits in the UK than any other rock band. 22 in the top 10. But that is far less startling than the following piece of trivia. The number one best-selling singles act in the UK in the 1980s was Shakin' Stevens. There is a high probability that some of my overseas listeners have no idea who Shakin' Stevens is. And he seems like a perfectly nice bloke, but there was a time and a place. Ta-ra! <laughs> Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for.